in um, the fourth week of our training camp series, and uh, we're, we've been covering some of the fundamentals of being a disciple. And since I'm a big college football fan, and it's college football time, and, and what, just three Saturdays we'll be watching college football, um, you know, it's, it's a good time for us to be training ourselves to be ready for the season. Now we're not getting ready for football, we're getting ready for uh, life, and so um, it's a little more important than, what, uh, than what's going on, and so I hope we can, we can take it pretty seriously. But um, this morning we're talking about excellence. Last week we talked about discipline and diligence. The week before that we talked about attitude, and they were, uh, they were really short sermons, so I'd encourage you to go uh, listen to those online. It will only take a fraction of your life, and uh, it'll only feel like uh, twice as much as what you uh, see. The sermons really aren't an hour long. They just feel that way. So, um, <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, encourage you to go to our website and listen to those if you miss those. Um, these are these are some of the intangibles. These are some of the things we don't really ever ever talk about um, when it comes to being a disciple. But they are they're very important, and so wanted to wanted to work them in, talk about them as we kind of gear up for the fall and what we're going to be doing, which we'll be sharing with you uh, in a few weeks down the road, kind of the direction we'll be heading starting in October. So I'm excited about that. You can uh, start getting anxious and curious about what's coming. This week, we're going to talk about excellence. We're going to be in two places. Remember, we're going to read through Romans chapter 12 every single week as a part of this series, and then uh, we'll also be in Second Peter this morning. So um, to get started, I just kind of I want to go through Romans 12 and uh, revisit that, remind ourselves of that. We are, we are trying to be living sacrifices. We are trying to live lives that, um, that, that aren't just wholly devoted to pleasing ourselves and, and making the world revolve around us. We're trying to, to live lives that glorify God, and we sacrifice our, our daily pleasures, our, our, uh, our daily agendas to a greater purpose and that is the purpose that God has put on our lives. And so um, uh, a lot of that we've already talked about, but I want to I refresh us in that. I want to remind us of that. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So as you're, as you're looking at God's mercy, the way God has been merciful to you, I'm urging you then to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And while uh, what we did was uh, worship just a few minutes ago, our, our spiritual act of worship is a daily activity. It's something that we do on a regular basis, all day long, all week long. The way we're living our lives should be our spiritual act of worship. And if we're living for ourselves, then we're really worshiping ourselves and making ourselves the thing that we're putting up on the pedestal in our life. We need to be putting God on the pedestal and making our lives revolve around Him, living for Him. That's our spiritual act of worship. The way we live is the best worship if we're doing it right. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, His good and pleasing and perfect will. 
And we talked a lot about that, about, about how we have to start with the purpose God created us for and, and how uh, from that we develop our plan and our goals for our life. We don't start by chasing goals. That's the way the world works. That's the way the world thinks. We, we want to go after all the stuff. We want to go after all the things. And so we go after those without any purpose. But, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we start with our purpose and we build everything out of that purpose. And that's how we're supposed to think. That's how we're supposed to be transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind. We're supposed to shake off the thinking that the world has for us and, and embrace the thinking that God has for us. And then when we know that, then we'll be able to know what God wants us to do. When we know those things, we'll be able to uh, uh, test and, and approve of what God's will is because we're, we're living out of the purpose he created us for as opposed to the ways of the world. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. We use that passage a lot to talk about our attitude, how our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We went back to Philippians. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So that's why we're saying everybody has a role, everyone has a purpose. We are a battleship, not a cruise ship. When, when, when it comes time to work, we need everyone performing the role that they were created to perform to be living out the purpose God created them to do. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stopped for just a minute and think, um, I am not my own? We, we use that phrase a lot of times to say, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. Uh, Paul I, or Peter, I can't remember who, who says that. I think it was Paul says, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. And we were bought with a price. We were, we were purchased uh, by the blood of Christ on the cross. But have you ever thought about that uh, you're also, you also belong to everyone else? That being a part of this body doesn't mean that you're just yourself and it's just between you and God, but that, that we all belong to one another? In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There again, we have the idea of being devoted to one another. We aren't our own. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in your passion for Christ and knowing him more and, and serving him and devoting your life to him. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute, persecute you. Every week I have a problem with that word. Bless those who persecute you. you. Good. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Talk to you about my, my strong desire to want to do that from time to time. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, 
as far as it depends on you, you can't control the other people in the world. You can't control even the people around you in this room. But if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are people out there that have a different agenda for your life. They have a different agenda for the way the world should work. And it may be impossible to live at peace with them. But as far as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. This is, this is probably, you know, I, I shouldn't enjoy this verse, these last couple of verses as much as I do, but I really enjoy them. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Doesn't that just sound poetic? <laughs> Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, I'm just, I'm just a human. I'm not, uh, I'm not some kind of super spiritual giant. I have my own flaws. I, uh, I would like to see God work out his vengeance probably a little more than I should, and uh, I confess that to you freely. And uh, I will have to practice that on my way home from church today, I'm sure, as I do every single Sunday on the freeway. But, um, but you know, um, if, if we really dig into this chapter, and this is one of those chapters, there's, there's so much in here, there's no way I can cover the content of this chapter in any substantial way throughout the course of this series. So read the, read the chapter on your own. Really you know, digest it, really internalize it, and, and make it a part of who you are. And, and then maybe if we, if we commit ourselves to that, if we become a body that's committed to, to living this kind of life, we have a great chance of living the kind of life that people notice, that, that take notice of, of what God is doing in and through us and not who we are. These are, these are all things that, that are, are said so that we can point the, the finger to God, so we can point the credit to God. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves and make ourselves look as good as we can. We want to make God shine as bright as possible. We don't need to make God look good. We just need to give him the place to shine. This morning we're talking about excellence, and um, it might seem it might seem a little more um, self-helpish, and uh, I hope you'll I hope you'll see some of the some of the big biblical concepts behind it by the time we're done this morning. But um, it's very important that we pursue excellence. We've been talking about, you know, having a take-notice walk. We've been talking about living in such a way that people notice the way we live. And um, I was trying to think of some questions to ask you that, that would give you um, an idea of excellence and, and the fact that we all really notice those things. And um, you know, I thought about pointing out this building. And, you know, we come in and enjoy this building. This building was built in uh, the early 70s. And so we get to enjoy this building on a, on a regular basis, and um, you know, forty some years later, it's still standing without you know any major issues, other than maintenance issues that come up from uh, being forty years old. And um, you know, if you're forty plus, you know those come. So 
You know, but we, we have you know, just these, these great beams, these great uh, kind of trusses that, that, that support this whole structure here. And if they, if they weren't built with excellence, we probably would not be enjoying this building um, anymore. Maybe, maybe uh, some other examples would be you know, the new library downtown uh, Vancouver. That was, that was something that was built with excellence. And you can go, you can drive by it and just enjoy the architecture of the building. You can drive around a lot of downtown uh, Portland and look at a, a lot of the old um, a lot of the old buildings that were built many, many years ago. Look at some of the old churches, and you can see a lot of these buildings were built with such excellence that they're standing with little or no um, uh, maintenance required. You can go to other parts of the world, and you can go to Europe, and you can see churches and cathedrals that have been built um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago that are still standing, and, and what, they, what they have to do to pres- preserve them is uh, probably fairly minimal compared to their age. And so, you know, you think about some of these buildings, they were built with excellence. And uh, you could then stop and compare that uh, to the way a lot of houses are built these days. Now, um, so as I was thinking about it, these are the two examples that I, that I came up with. One, um, if you have a house, you know, we have houses that are built uh, you know, 40, 50 years old, on, probably, on the, probably on the average, we have some that are older and so, a lot that are newer, but um, houses are probably 40, 50, 60 years old on average, if I was guessing. Uh, but, but if you really get into the construction of them, they, they aren't necessarily built to endure generation to generation. They aren't built to last for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're, they're built uh, really with the number one thing in mind being cost. How can I build as much house as possible for the lowest cost possible. But uh, in my family, you know, my dad has been a timber frame enthusiast for a long time. And timber framing is, is a style of building that, that started, I think, in the, like the 1200s, something along that, that line. And there's a lot of buildings built over in Europe that were timber frame that are still standing, and you can go over there, you can just tour some of the, some of the small towns, and you can see buildings that line the street that, that were made out of timber frame construction. Now, timber frame construction uses bigger pieces of wood and uses what's called a mortise and tenon. I know I'm getting really exciting, and you're, you're going to be really thrilled about uh, learning this, but if you don't know what a mortise and tenon is, basically a mortise is uh, you take a beam and you cut a hole in it, and that's the mortise. And then the tenon, you, cut, you kind of shave the beam down to the, the size that fits into that mortise, and then you put them together, kind of like Lincoln Logs, you know, if you, if you understand what that's like. But uh, you build a whole structure based on, on this idea. So you've got a beam over here and a, maybe a cross beam over here, and they're connected uh, to the posts on the end with mortises and braces. And then here in the middle, you might have another post that goes up to connect to the roof, and, and then that might have some braces that go off to connect to the rafters that come down. And, but they're all built, and it takes a long time, but they're built with a lot of intentionality and strategy so that by the time you build this thing and you get it put together, you have something that's going to endure something that's going to last. That's building with, with excellence as the goal as opposed to maybe affordability being the goal. By the way, it's, it's affordable, it just takes longer. It's really more our impatience that keeps us from building that way any more than, than other things. But there are a lot of things that, uh, that, that are excellent in our world today that we kind of just take for granted 
and look past. Now, um, I say, you know, we're always dogging on China. We're always giving China a hard time. But China is responsible for kind of the, the, uh, the uptake in, in our, our higher level of technological excellence. Of course, they wouldn't do that if we didn't have, if we weren't, you know, pushing technology on them to build. But, you know, over time, you know, we have the ideas. They probably have their own ideas, but we have the ideas for the most part, and we get, send it over there for them to build, and they figure out how to build it at, at the cheapest price possible. And so they come up with all this technology at this, at this price level, and then they build so much of it because there's a lot of people in China and in the world that want to buy these things. So they build so much of it that they bring the cost down. So then we come over to them with a new idea. Well, since the cost of this is so cheap now, then we can go up to another level and to another level and to another level. Now, so many of the devices that we use are actually, even though they, you know, we dog on China, they're made with a lot of really excellent parts because of that process of going back and forth and back and forth. We kind of take it for granted. We take it for granted that we have a computer that uh, we can fit into our pocket. And it's made well enough for, so that uh, for some of you, you can drop it three or four or five, six dozen times, and, and it still works, right? That's, that's built with a level of excellence. Um, a lot of people have computers now that are built at such a level of excellence that they that even though they're they're really affordable they will still last for you know for much longer than if you bought a computer maybe 10 years ago there's excellence all around and and if we don't live excellently we're going to be lost in the noise of the excellence so this is I was thinking about this and this is one of those things where the world understands the need for excellence. When you're selling a product, when, you are, when you're developing something that you want a lot of people to buy, you, for the most part, understand that you have to create an excellent product so people have to uh, want the product. And so, but they have an entirely different motivation. Their, their motivation is to build an excellent product so a lot of people buy it so they can make a lot of money. We have a motivation to live an excellent life so that people will take notice of our Savior. Quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence, regardless of their chosen field of endeavor. It was Vince Lombardi. Aristotle said, excellence is not an act, but a habit. Risk more than others think is safe, care more than others think is wise, dream more than others think is practical, and expect more than others think is possible. That's a cadet, a cadet maxim from the U.S. Military Academy. There is at Ohio State University, and I'm a Buckeye fan, and I do not apologize for that, but I do apologize if it annoys you and offends you, but I am a Buckeye fan, and my brother got this opportunity to, to go through um, a, a hallway. I'm just going to call it the coach's hallway. It's a hallway that is 120 yards long. It goes the length of the football field in the building. And so, um, so it's a 120-yard long hallway. And this hallway is lined from, on, from side to side with, with memorabilia from all of the championships, from all the awards that have been won over the hundreds of years of Ohio State football. And so as you're walking down the hallway, you're literally walking down a, a history of excellence. You're walking down years and years of, of excellent football. 
And if you don't like Ohio State, um, it's probably because they play excellent football and they win a lot. So, um, so you know, as you walk down this hallway, you can see um, the excellence that this the program has lived up to year after year, decade and generation after generation now. Um, Ohio State University was formed the same time Washington became a state. So it's been, they've been playing uh, football for almost as long as Washington has been a state. And one of the coaches from Ohio State University said this, he said, any recruit who steps into this hallway might ask himself, I wonder if I could be a part of this success. Any recruit who comes and, and sees this hallway is going to probably be overwhelmed with, with the amount of success that, that kind of lines the hallways, and they're going to ask themselves, and maybe you've done this if you've played sports or if you've been a part of something uh, like that. You, you walk, man, I wonder if I can have a trophy up here someday. I wonder if my name will be on one of these plaques someday. I wonder if, if I will be a part of a team that wins that national championship or that, that Big Ten championship. You know, you, you come in as a recruit and you start to wonder these things. I wonder if I could be a part of this success. But if anyone walked into our church, if anyone walked into our community, if anyone walked into the lives that we're living together, that belong together, would anyone ask, I wonder if I can be a part of this success? Or would they ask, um, I wonder if there's somewhere else I can go that's more successful? If anyone observed your life, would, would they say, I want to be a part of that guy's life. I want to get into a relationship with that guy so that I can, I can maybe, um, through osmosis, absorb some of his success and live a more successful life. Or, or do we just kind of live lives that are unnoticeable because we aren't living with excellence? See, in the same way that a well-constructed building signifies excellence to everyone who sees it, the structure of our lives can pique the interest of those who observe us when we make excellence a central part of our daily quest as individuals. The same way we can walk into a building and see that it was built with excellence is it's the same thing if people look at our lives, they can see the excellence. They want to know more about why we're living the way we're living. Excellence is, is important. Excellence is, is something that, that you have to practice. It's something that you have to work on on a daily basis. You have, to, you have to practice your practice with excellence. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. We want to increase our excellence and reach our potential in every one of the areas that, that we have before us. We want to work at what God has given us to do and not just get it done so that we can check it off the list. We want to become excellent workers at what God has created us to do. See, the process we're going through as we, as we discover our individual identities, what we were created to do, as we discover those, we find our purpose, and then we decide out of that purpose what we'd like to accomplish, the plans and the goals that we have in front of us. As we, as we do that, we need to perform with excellence. But here's the thing. Excellent preparation takes tremendous commitment. It takes focus, it takes discipline, it takes hard work. And in fact, excellence is probably the one thing that we can add to all of the other fundamentals that we're talking about. 
You can add excellence to attitude. You can add excellence to discipline. Achieving excellence requires a great deal of hard work. I want to turn to 2 Peter this morning as we talk about excellence. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, pull that out. If you have your phone, pull up 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, Jesus' divine power, the power of the Spirit, the power of God alive in us, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What do you hear in that verse? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, what I hear is that that we were were created for excellence. We're, We're created to live Lives that, that, are, that, that reflect the glory and goodness of God. But we were not created to do it on our own strength and in our own power. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Through these, through these, through this knowledge, through this power that he's given us, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's, it's, it's really basically the same thing we were talking about at the beginning of, of Romans chapter 12. The world has evil desires. The world has a way of thinking. We need to escape that way of thinking. We need to escape the corruption of the world and how the world uh, seeks to build up self and ourselves around us and people around us to, to uh, uh, pat ourselves on the back. We need to escape that corruption, that way of thinking, and lean into the divine nature we were created with. For this very reason, what were we just saying? For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Now, and, and the NIV, that second word, goodness, is translated as goodness, but uh, in the New American Standard, that word is uh, translated as moral excellence. Add to your faith moral excellence. Add to your faith excellence and to your excellence knowledge. This is a passage we've talked about. Jim brought this uh, up to us as we're looking at, at making disciples and what a disciple looks like and how this, this uh, passage kind of builds on, on one another. And we start with our faith, our faith in God and our responding to his calling on our life. And we put our faith and our belief in, in the work Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the first thing we add to that is excellence, moral excellence. It's, it's, it is learning to live out all of the things God has commanded us to do with excellence. 
It's learning to, by remember his divine power, that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has given us the power to live this life. God has given us what we need to live the life he's called us to do. And guess what? He's given us what we need to live it excellently. God has given us what we need for life and godliness, and he's given us what we need to not just throw it together, but to do it well. We add to that knowledge. We add to that self-control. We add to that perseverance. A lot of these are going to come up later in our series. We add to that godliness. We add to that brotherly kindness, and we add to that love. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and he wants us to do it with excellence. Excellence in our walk with Christ means that that we seek to know God and are in a constant growing relationship with him. There are many ways we can do this. These these are uh, some of the fundamentals of, of excellence. For one, we can do this through prayer. We need to pray on a daily basis. We need to be in communication with God on a daily basis. We need to learn to listen to God on a daily basis. And this is where maybe many of us have come up short. We want to go to God with our requests, but how many of us want to stop and listen to what God wants to say to us? So in our prayer life, we need to uh, develop the greatest aspect of communication, and that's listening. We need to listen with our hearts, listen with our minds, listen with our souls. And God will move us further along the path towards spiritual excellence if we do that. If we're always talking, if we're always spouting off our finite, ridiculous words of uh, the unwise to an all-wise God, we will never be able to stop and listen to the God of the universe who knows exactly what we need to do and hear him tell us what we need to do to live the life that he's called us to live. We sometimes just need to shut up and listen to God. Listen with your heart, listen with your mind, listen with your soul. Another thing that's vital to, to living an excellent life, if you, if you don't know what God has called you to live like, how can you possibly live that way? So we need to read God's word that he's given to us. We need to be constantly in the word, reading the commands, reading the love, reading all of the joy, reading all of the all of the. Uh, the responses of humans like us who have gone through this story, the same story that we're all going through and how they have responded to the God of the universe. We need to, we need to get into this, this wonderful book, this wonderful treasure that we have before us, this thing that we have literally at our fingertips at a moment's notice, and we need to let God speak to us through his word. It's vital to the process. We, we have to soak in what God has told us what God has written out for us, and we have to know what he is telling us to live like. See, here's the thing that, that is constantly baffling. Like at the end of, of Romans, the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 12, then you'll be able to know what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. We, we always talk about, we want to know what God wants us to do. We want to know what the life is that God has called us to live, and yet at the same time, most of us have not read through even a tenth of what's in here. God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, I'm in this situation, and I just don't know how to respond or how to act. There's this jerk 
that I work with and I want to kill him every day, what am I supposed to do? Feels like I'm going down the wrong road. How do I know if I'm going in the wrong direction? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If we don't read what he's given us about himself and his character and his nature and who he is, how can we possibly know the life we're supposed to live? We need to have a daily habit of prayer, a daily habit of reading his scripture to us. And we need to have a, a passion for this body. We need to have a passion for fellowshipping with this community that God is assembling here at 6-8 Church. I cannot tell you how much I have learned by being in this role that God has put me in. It's because of the community that we live in as we try to live in, at least as a staff. We're not perfect at it, but as a staff, we try to live more in community than as a, a dictatorship or as a, as a place where I just give people orders to do. We try to uh, live uh, in fellowship with one another. And it has been through this constant source of fellowship, this constant growing in relationship with the community God has put around us here at this church that myself and my family have, have continued to grow. It's through these things we continue to experience joy and increased measure. Fellowship with the body of Christ is not just a suggestion, it's a command. It's not just something we're, we're asked to do if you feel like it, it's something that we need to do because it's important. See, we are a body, but we are only a body when we are the whole body. God is assembling more and more people here to accomplish more and more for his name. And when we decide that it's okay to not show up, when we decide that it's okay to not come on a Sunday or to not participate in the group that we're, we are participating in or not participate in the ministry or to just call in uh, at, at a last minute that, you know, we're too tired, we can't do it today. Whatever it is, whenever we, whenever we make that decision, whenever we just decide we're going to stay at home because it's easier to stay at home than to come and serve and be a part of the body, we aren't just being selfish we are hurting God's body. We're, we're taking somebody who was built as a shoulder and forcing them to operate as a foot. We're taking somebody who was, who was built as a back and making them operate as hands. We're only the body when we are the whole body. Without the whole body doing its part, we're sick, we're wounded, we're lame, we're hurt. Fellowship is crucial. Prayer is crucial. Reading the Bible, reading Scripture is crucial. These are the fundamental practices we need to practice regularly that will allow us to begin to move forward toward reaching our potential in Christ. See, I think most of us kind of walk through life with, with just a, an ounce of the whole picture that God has for us. 
We've been beaten down by the world. We've been hurt by the people around us. We've been, we've been hurt by society. We've, been, we've may, maybe even been left behind and completely forgotten about. And we allow those failures, both of ourselves and the people around us, to define who we're going to be in the future. We allow the, the past to be what holds us back from going in the direction God wants us to go in the future. But it's not up to those people, and it's not even up to the past and the mistakes that we've all made behind us that define who God wants us to be. We're created with an enormous potential, and it's only through leaning into the things that God has for us that we are able to discover the potential God has for us in the future. I've said before, and I'll say it again, I think in this room lies the potential to literally change this entire community for Christ. I don't say that because I want to puff you up. I don't say that because I want you to walk out of here feeling like you can conquer the world. I say it because I believe it. I say it because we need to be that community. So we have to understand that excellence is tied to something bigger than ourselves. Excellence is even tied to something bigger than achievement. Excellence is tied to something that, that you can't quite put your finger on until you understand it. Excellence doesn't just affect our own lives. It affects the lives of everyone in our sphere of influence. Excellence affects the lives of our 8 to 15. If we're living poorly, if we're out just kind of barely living for Christ during the week, then it affects the way our lives represent Christ to those people. If we're not living with excellence, we aren't going to be shining the light of Christ into our 8 to 15. And remember, God put those people in your life for you to shine the light to. They're, they're there because God wants you to reach them. They're there because God wants you to live your life in such a way that they want to take notice of your Savior. Our world doesn't revolve around us. Our world doesn't, we don't, you know, kind of pull these 8 to 15 together and kind of sit in the middle in a spinning chair and say, look at me. Our 8 to 15 are there for us to serve and to love and to care for. But it takes a group. It takes a community to reflect Christ. It takes all of us working together, playing our part, fulfilling the function that we have been called to fulfill to reflect Christ to the community. It's only in the totality of the group that excellence of Christ can truly shine. We cannot truly shine the excellence of Christ in our own personal lives. Yes, we need to be working toward that end, but it's only in the totality of this group, this body that he's assembled here together, that the excellence of Christ can truly shine. We need to have excellence in our caring. We need to have excellence in uh, how we give to one another, how we give to the church. We need to have excellence when, when we're working with the group, when we're serving our 8 to 15. We need to serve those people with excellence. We need to serve them with excellence because the purpose is higher than ourselves. Excellence is what gets you to the next level. Excellence is what's going to get us as a church to the next level, not a performance, not performing things well, not performing our duties well, but excellence. Did you know that one million kids play high school football any given year? One million kids play high school football across the nation. Right now, there are about one million students in high school playing high school football. Those that go on to play college football at any level of college football is about 45,000. And with 32 teams in the NFL, less than 1,700 play on Sunday. You go from 1 million down to 1,700. 
What do you think it is that gets you picked, aside from natural talent, to be one of those 1,700? What do you think it is that, that pulls you out of the 1 million into the 45,000, pulls you out of the 45,000 into the 1,700? It's excellence. It's excellence in your diligence to prepare. It's excellence in, in your weightlifting. It's excellence in your, in your training of all kinds. It's excellence in your, in your fundamentals of football. It's excellence in, in your attitude. It's excellence in your life outside of football because we all know um, uh, people who don't have excellence in life outside of football eventually crumble, and you end up seeing a lot about them in the news like uh, Greg Oden, who um, people say played at Ohio State um, I still don't quite believe that, but, you know, he was in the news this week, and he's not living his life excellently outside of basketball. Excellence is what gets you to that level. To live an excellent life, you have to also increase in knowledge. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing excellently, you can't do it. As we're growing in that, then, then we can grow in our plan to achieve those things, which will take self-control. And then as we develop self-control, we're going to need the discipline to roll up our sleeves and do the hard work to get there, and that's going to take perseverance. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through nine, excellence. Everyone say this, makte. Oh, come on. Makte. I think you got a little more in yet. Makte. Now, this one's a little bit harder. That, this is Latin, by the way. Um, it's technically weir, like, but it's with a V, so we're just going to do V because it's a little less goofy sounding. Virtute. Virtute. Macte virtute. Increase in excellence. You just learned Latin, aren't you? Aren't you? I mean, pat yourself on the back. I know a dead language. Macte virtute. Increase in excellence. We should be constantly increasing in excellence. We should be constantly growing in excellence. A man... Uh, should, a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Think about that. A man's reach should exceed his grasp. Otherwise, what is heaven for? We cannot achieve heaven on our own. We need the help, but it should exceed our grasp. When we don't live up to our potential, we can't continue to berate ourselves. We have to learn from it, store those lessons away, so that perhaps someday those errors that we made in the past won't be made again. Attempt the impossible in order to improve your work. Michael Jordan said this, I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something. But I can't accept not trying. The hallmark of excellence, the test of greatness, is consistency. It isn't hard to be good from time to time in sports. What's tough is being good every day. That was Willie Mays. Quality is never an accident. It's always the result of intelligent effort. The foundation of excellence lies in self-control. 
If you heed your fears, you'll die never knowing what a great person you might have been. It was Dr. Robert Schuller. I think a lot of us don't ever go after excellence because we're afraid of failing. We don't, ever, we don't go after excellence because the fear that we might let the people around us down stops us, and so we sit and do nothing. But all we have to do is just take a step. We have to take a step. Maybe your step this week is to pray one day, and that'll be a step for you. Maybe your step this week is to read your Bible one day, and that'll be a step for you. You have two passages you can go right to, Romans 12 or 2 Peter chapter 1. Maybe that's your step. Maybe your step is to step into community a little more, and so you're going to stick around after church today, and you're going to help volunteer to get everything set up at VBS, or you're going to come and help for uh, the, the rummage sale on Saturday, or maybe you're just going to get a group of people together, and you're going to have fellowship with the body throughout the week, or you're going to commit to being here regularly for the next month instead of coming once or twice a month. You know, maybe that's your next step. You're going to commit to the fellowship. I'm about done. I, I kind of want to end with an illustration. The reason we perform with excellence is so that when the lights go out, we know what we're supposed to do. We've talked about this before, how, how you know, like when, the, when it gets dark and Maybe you're, you're in your bedroom at night and it's dark and you need to get to the bathroom. And you, you kind of know, you know the way there, but it's dark, so you have to feel your way there a little bit. But over time, you can really get to the bathroom without <laughs> killing yourself, waking up the whole house, stubbing your toe on the furniture. But what do you do when the lights go out? Now, I, I don't want to, I'm not doing this to, uh, to toot my own horn or to brag about myself. I just I kind of want to give you the best example I can give you. Um, I've been playing piano since I was in second grade. It's most of my life I've been playing piano. And it was off and on throughout my younger years and then really got into it later in high school. Um, I was a piano performance major for my first year at Indiana Wesleyan University. I had this dream of being a concert pianist and then realized that that was totally impossible and a ridiculous career because not very many people can make a living off of being a concert pianist. But uh, one of the things that I would practice when I'm in there playing um, Bach or I'm playing Beethoven or I'm playing Mozart is, you know, you kind of, you, you, you learn the music, you know, you read the music off of the, off of the sheet of music in front of you, you learn all the notes, you work through the, through the hard part of, of just learning the music, and then, then you practice a little bit more and you practice a little bit more, but you have to get so familiar if you're going to be a great, a great pianist or if you're going to be a great concert pianist, you have to be so familiar with the music that it's second nature and that you can then perform without having to worry about it. And so uh, one of the first things I did is I had this bad habit of constantly looking down at my fingers to make sure that I'm playing at the right thing. So uh, the teacher gave me some of the, the, the guides that, um, that basketball players use when they're learning to not watch themselves dribble. They Kind of like the horses have the blinders on the sides. You have this thing that you put under your eyes so that you can keep from looking down. So she gave me one of those, and I, would, I had to not look at my hands. And then Eventually, you get so comfortable with that that you can then not look at all, and you can just close your eyes, and you know how, how to play. So uh, I want to 
show you with the lights on first. This isn't going to be really as dramatic because it's not going to be completely dark in here, but... So I've been playing Amazing Grace for a long time. It's easy as a worship leader. You better be able to play Amazing Grace, right? Um, but what happens when the lights go out? If I'm not prepared, then I'm going to fumble around and... I'm going to close my eyes, and I know there's no one up here to testify to this, but um, if you've prepared and trained and worked and spent a long time, peaked once, but I, other than that, I was, had my eyes closed. But when you, uh, when you, when you achieve certain levels of excellence, when life gets questionable, when it gets hard to know what the next step is going to be, and if you're even going to have something to put your foot on when you land there, if you've trained and if you've prepared the way that God has taught us to prepare, the way that God has given us what we need to know how to live and how to live the life that he's called us to live, if we've, if we've not only done that with diligence and if we've not only done that with the right attitude, but if we've done that with excellence, then when the lights go out, we can keep walking. When it gets dark and you, you can't hear God's voice, you can keep moving forward, when you're surrounded by a cloud of uncertainty, when it feels like life is crashing in and everything is falling apart because you have done what you're supposed to be doing for a long enough time that has become habit and routine, and you can do that with excellence, you can keep moving forward. And here's the thing you have to understand that you have to, under, that you have to really know at the depth of your soul is that every one of us walks out of this room and walks into a dark world every single week. Every one of us leaves this place where we feel great about being a part of a community, where we feel great about being in the body of Christ, and we walk into the darkness. And if we don't practice 
uh, the things that God has called us to live. We don't practice the life God has put us in front of us. We don't live that life with discipline and the right attitude and do those things with excellence. Whenever we walk out of this building, we will not be able to do it. We won't be able to live for Christ. Excellence, discipline, and attitude determine how you'll play when the lights go out. So let me ask, how have you been playing? How have you been playing when you leave this building on Sundays and going into your life? How have you been playing when it's just you shining the light in the darkness? How have you been playing? Maybe some of you are going through a really challenging, stressful, trying time right now, and it seems like you haven't heard God's voice in weeks, maybe months, or even longer than that. How have you been playing when it's dark? When tragedy comes and everything seems to crumble in on, on you and you just don't know what's going to happen next, how are you playing? Because how we prepare to play for that moment is as important as the moment itself. And we have to prepare with excellence. Let's pray. Father, I must confess that at times it would be easier to not know things. I confess that I would like to not know a lot of the stuff that's in your word so I didn't have to live up to it. And yet I understand that if I want to become all that you've created to me to be, if I want to achieve the potential that you have built in to me, I have to not only live up to it, not only learn it, but I have to have a passion to do it with excellence. I thank you for your grace and the ways I so imperfectly live those things out on a daily and weekly basis. I thank you that that it's not up to me living those things perfectly that gets me into heaven, but it's through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, poured out on my life that gets me through this life and into the next. But Father, forgive me if I've used grace as an excuse not to live the life you've called me to live. Forgive me if I've used grace as a, as a reason not to try harder, if I've used grace as a reason not to, to give a little more, not to know a little more, not to read a little more, pray a little more, work a little more. Forgive me if I've used grace as an excuse. Father, help me to live today and this week with excellence. Help me to live the things that you have already made clear to me with excellence, to work hard at those things every day. And when I fail, to take stock of what happened, to make notes, and to try not to make those same mistakes again, and to get up and take another step. Father, for all of us in this room, no matter where we are, whether we're in, in the direct sun, or we're in the shade, or we're in a cave, and it's completely dark, we don't know what's ahead. We don't know where to turn. I pray, Father, that, that our lives as the body here at 6-8 Church would be marked with excellence, that we would be marked with discipline and the right attitude, but those things lived out in excellence 
And I thank you that, I thank you that you did not take your sacrifice on the cross the way I often take my life. I thank you that you did not give yourself half-heartedly to that effort as I give myself half-heartedly to my effort. But I thank you that you, in light of the greatest torture, the greatest pain, the greatest amount of suffering and humiliation, you performed that act with excellence. Father, let me live my life with excellence. Empower us to live our lives as you called us to live and to glorify you in that way. In Jesus' name.